This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Week one is in the books and it was one for the ages. Seven games, three in overtime and five decided by just one goal. Frank Brown of the Buffalo Bandits will stop by as Cousin Brownies in the giving spirit. We break down week two and give you our box bets. All that more on OTCB. My name is Teddy Jenner and welcome back for another year of National Lacrosse League Action. Matthews quick stick. Are you kidding me? By Dylan Ward. I don't believe what I just saw. That's the save of the year right there. Oh, wow. Blair right down the middle, shoots and he scores! Not a stray dog. That's a great day. Back to the action out of the turf. Another power play for Buffalo. Burn with the ball to Smith with a shot. He scores. That's not a stray dog. That's a great day. Charlotte Beatty sticks it home for his first, and Vancouver takes the lead. This is Eric Fennell. Fennell switches hands. He scores! Eric Fennell in overtime. From left to right, and it is over. Brett Hickey puts it off to the right side. And they score!
What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. I am Teddy Jenner. He is Pat Gregoire, my friend. What a weekend. How the hell are you? Doing fantastic, buddy. The weekend was awesome. I will say, obviously, it, it's great calling games. I love it. It's like my favorite thing on planet Earth. The one downfall is that you don't have the opportunity to watch all these games live. Like, yes, we go back and watch them. But I was so envious of the lacrosse fan this weekend that just be, was able to sit on their couch um, here in Canada, have the TSN game, which, by the way, fantastic job to oh. you, uh, Brad Chandler and uh, Ashley, and the entire TSN crew. That was an awesome, awesome broadcast. Um, Thanks, but to sit down and have lacrosse on the TV yeah. and maybe have a second or third screen with those other games. And I saw that, again, we always get this. Uh, you know, complaining about how the games weren't staggered. Um, but let's just enjoy week one before we start throwing out the complaints. <laughs> Beggars can't be choosers, as they say, right? Yeah. Um, sure. Okay. Um, we got to get some things out of the way. Uh, I am at Teddy Jenner. He's at P. Greggy. The show is at OTCB underscore podcast, all on the Twitters and on Instagram, uh, OTCB podcast. Um, yes, there were some hiccups. Uh, the sites, the stat site crashed. Um, there's no game sheets. Uh, player stats aren't up to date. Now they're kind of slowly getting updated. Obviously, obvious hiccups in week one. We're going to figure that out. The league's going to figure that out. That'll all be fine. On the floor, there weren't many hiccups. Maybe aside from the 7-0 run of Buffalo over Calgary, there was no massive, there was no major runs. There was no like lopsided victories. Georgia, Colorado was a bit of a one-sided one, but you know, nothing like that seven, nothing quarter. What was your big takeaway from opening weekend? I have a few takeaways, but I think the biggest takeaway is that these guys were ready to play. And these yeah. guys, uh, you know, yes, it was a little bit, I think the majority of the games that I've watched so far, um, it, it was a little bit of a feeling out process for some games. And then some other teams, they kind of just hit the ground and they were so excited and it was a little bit sloppy back and forth. But for the most part, these guys, my God, I don't know if it's just because they were so hyped up, but the game, correct me if I'm wrong, Teddy, but I, I don't know if I've seen <laughs> the game this fast before. Yeah. Uh, whether you're talking about ball movement transition um it was quick out there these guys are freak athletes yeah they they hadn't missed a beat and maybe that's you know a lot of guys you know had had the college season some guys had the pll some guys played in the you know the mso classic you know there was still some lacrosse being played kind of leading up to this so it's not like guys were coming in cold but just the overall just to be able to get back into the pace of things and to have that ability to just pick up right where we left off Case in point, Saskatchewan and Halifax. Last time these two teams played was an <laughs> unbelievable back and forth nail biter in overtime. Again, they do the exact same thing. So I, I thought, yeah, I agree. The pace of the game was probably maybe the most surprising. Yeah, there was going to be some bobbles and some missed passes. And I think I kind of thought special teams were going to be a little sloppier for some teams. But overall, I thought a lot of teams were quite good on their special teams. Mm -hmm. And it was just good to have it back. And yeah, the, the TSN broadcast was phenomenal. They did just uh, an absolutely tremendous job producing that game behind the scenes. 
Uh, we've gotten some incredible feedback. We'll talk about this week's game of the week uh, later on the show, but you know, the, the atmosphere in first Ontario center, the atmosphere in the nest uh, bandit land in New York, all across the league, even the fans were glad and happy to see the game back. And they turned out in good numbers. And uh, I, I thought it was just an incredible sight to see in one long overdue. What was it like in Halifax for you? Well, first off, it was just amazing to, to be back and, and, you know, walking into the arena for morning shoot around you. I did have a little bit of a, of a taste of it for that purple versus orange game, but it, the real deal thing, it was great getting back into that routine, getting up, you know, into the perch uh, beforehand, the, the quick little insight here to the nest where Pete and I do our, you know, on our, our on cams is not where we actually call the game. So we have to do our on cameras at the start, pretty much sprint up a bunch of <laughs> stairs and then get across the catwalk to where we call the game. There's just not enough room in that press box for us to, you know, have a camera, but all that kind of stuff, it felt like it's been forever, but at the same time, it felt like it was just yesterday that we we're there seeing the same people that work in the arenas, seeing all the players, the staff, it was just yeah. so good. And I know I've used this a few times and it's a little bit gimmicky, but it's also true. Like nature's healing. Like this was the first time, you know, in a long time that I, that I think a lot of people felt some normalcy back in their life. Yes. We've had some other things over the summer, you know, you know, people can have parties again and, and whatnot, but for people who are true lacrosse people through and through this weekend was, it was the first taste of lacrosse that we've had in over 630 days mm -hmm. and it felt great. And it was awesome yeah. to be back and the building was buzzing. It yeah. wasn't one of the biggest crowds they had. I still think it was about 7,000, a little bit more than that, but boy, it was loud. And these guys, man, this, this fan base, they're getting smarter. They're becoming a lacrosse fan base. They're yeah, I noticed at that the right time. The game. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. they've, they've picked up on the nuances. It's awesome. And you want to talk about atmospheres that one in Hamilton looked yeah. electric. Yeah, it was pretty awesome, man. I, unfortunately, just because of, of timing and how everything worked, you know, I, I didn't kind of get around to the concourse while kind of fans were milling about, but even leading up to the game, when Brad and I were walking from the hotel to the arena, cause it was only like two blocks. Uh, we saw Toronto Rock fans, you know, at the Tim Hortons and Brad asked him, you know, where are you guys from? Are you from Hamilton? Or they're no, we're from Toronto. So um, people are making that trek, which is a good sign. And they, they announced uh, 8,043 um, and it was rocking all night long. The fans were engaged. Obviously that's a very smart fan base uh, in that arena. Regardless, there was a good turnout for the Albany Firewolves. I was quite happy to see the post-game bars were quite full. <laughs> um, afterwards and, and the fans were celebrating, they were cheering, they were chanting, they were having a good time. Uh, you know, just seeing the players was, was fantastic. And just getting back into the, you know, the, the run of the mill NLL life, you know, early morning travel and travel delays and hotel mm -hmm. food and all that stuff. Uh, it was just good to get back onto it and, and get back into everything that was, you know, missing for so long. Um, I think we can, there's two things I want to talk about. And one's from my game, one's from your game, ironically. Um, maybe some questionable or interesting moments. The Courier overtime goal that was questionable. They ended up saying with the call on the field that it was no goal, his elbow touched line. Uh, how close was it from your perspective? 
So for me, I think the way I would have called it, I probably would have called it no goal on, on the, on the turf. And then yeah. when I went up, I probably would have had to say inconclusive because the way that the, the way that those angles were and just how everyone was kind of jumbled together, yeah. you couldn't get a clear image of Courier's elbow going like hitting the turf and then it going in the back of the net. But there also wasn't a clear image of that not happening. And right. I was so surprised when I saw it back, how close it was. And I thought Matt Garrison was going to, you know, call it back. I did say on the broadcast, I don't know if there's enough evidence. Yeah. Um, and he actually, though, it wasn't inconclusive the way he called the goal. He said, you know, the elbows, stand, down, yeah. elbows on the ground. So he obviously saw something that I didn't see on that, on that broadcast. And we got a ton of different angles. It was the, not the exact same timing as what Garrison was looking at. Um, but he was still seeing the same angles that we were seeing. And I, yeah. and it's a tough call. It's, it's really, really tough. I, I, again, I don't think there was enough to, to overturn that call, um, but clearly he saw it. He was confident in it. And there wasn't really that big of a blowback from the Saskatchewan bench. That yeah, that I think, was, yeah, that was because when they, the surprising thing. When me, they that, first that, saw it, you could see half the bench hands up. Some of the guys yeah. cleared the bench and went to go see shoot. Then you see their coaches calling them back. They're watching it. And as they watched it back, I think they're like, okay, this is closer than we thought it was. Yeah. And like you said, goal called, called out, like no goal call stands. Saskatchewan just went back out there and it was like, okay, whatever. Let's, yeah. Reset. Okay. I don't know if this next one was caught by many people and it's right before Fennell actually scores the OT winner. And Hill makes the save and there's a loose ball out of his crease and he clamps it with his stick. And as he's drawing it back, he reaches out and grabs the ball with his hand outside the crease and then puts it in his stick and then makes the pass. Like, and I'm pretty sure the ref is close by for this. I was shocked that that wasn't called. Did you notice that? I honestly didn't. When you mentioned that, I didn't. I had already watched the game back at that point. So I do want to go back and see what you're talking about. Um, there was also another play. I think it was with shoot in overtime where I thought there should have been a clear over and back and it wasn't called. Um, yeah. But I will say for the refs, it's their first time ref. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, I thought the refs but, were good all weekend. I thought they were great. I thought they were yeah. phenomenal. And I know we're going to talk about some other things, but, you know, having a few conversations with some of the, the officials and, um, you know, I think that everything, you know, obviously they are getting their jitters out, but overall, from what I've seen, um, there's a few points of emphasis, I think, that they were focusing on. Um, yes. The too many men might be one of them. Um, I'd love to ask next time I have a conversation with them because Halifax had two, uh, I think that that Albany game, I think they had one, maybe even two as well. So that might be something that is a point of emphasis this year. I know when we were doing the purple versus orange game, there was a couple as well, or maybe just the guys working the gate um, aren't quite up to, to speed yet. Uh, but that was something that I noticed that was being called a lot more than we normally see. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's, that's one of those hairline calls that is just so tough to make. Cause you have to watch the front door and the back door. You gotta be very aware of everything on the floor. And 
I was actually quite surprised to see how tightly they did call it. Cause usually you're going to give a guy a step or two. Like if he's mm-hmm. in that stride, getting into the box, if he's just a bit outside, you kind of give him that grace, but yeah. And the fact that I think there's probably going to be a lot more officials because there are more games happening, a lot of fresh faces, um, you know, donning the stripes in our league. So o- overall front to back, I thought everybody um, was kind of, was really on their game. Um, one thing the before gonna, we, sorry, yeah. before we get into that, I wanted to bring up that, you know, this is Don Korharski's first season and yeah. this was his first week. Yeah. So I'd be really interested to see how their first call. And I think it was either, you know, last night um, or, you know, tonight when you're listening to this podcast. Um, yeah. I, I think, I think that's when it was, you know, when it was taking place and obviously he has a very vast um, background in lacrosse, but he wasn't brought in to fine tune these refs, you know, so they know the rules. They know them better than anyone. It's about their presence on the floor, how to deal with coaches or, you know, coaches, how to be in proper position, how to deal with players and, you know, have that presence that you see in the national lacrosse league. They're unflappable. Uh, And I think that's what he's trying to instill in all these refs and including, especially like you said, these newer refs that have not, reft in front of you know packed buildings um screaming coaches players going at it some some coaches of course but um yeah it's, it's definitely a different atmosphere and having a guy that has so much experience under his belt uh whether it's a different sport that's only gonna make the officials even better um so we're gonna stick with the officials and this was uh from the toronto albany game it was the mischievous new hit on tony malcolm and at first glance, as we called it, it didn't look as sort of egregious as I've now seen it as we slowed it down uh, in clips post game. But to give him a five and a match and kick him out of the game at that point of the contest in, in the very first game of the year, not only does it set a tone, but now he is on very thin ice for the rest of the year. And Yes, I completely understand. They want to take headshots out. And if you go back and you watch it and you watch the replay and you really slow it down, he does kind of leave his feet. Malcolm doesn't have the ball. It's maybe six feet away from him. He gets him in the chin. and It's a, it's a tough hit. But now the way this new plays, he is, it's going to be tough for him to go the rest of the year, I think, without accruing another five-minute major which puts him in suspension territory. And I know the league will go back and look at things, but as we look back, I think they got the major right. I still don't know if it deserved a match to put him in that kind of hot water. And I think going back and watching it and I going through the criteria for, for a match penalty for a headshot, it's, you know, the amount of force, which was quite a bit, the mm-hmm. impact point you mentioned was right in the chin, in the chin cup face mask area, player vulnerability, which Malcolm was looking for the ball and unsuspecting. And I get it as a player, you have to keep yourself safe as well, but he was looking for that ball, not expecting to get blindside hit the field yeah. of vision mentioned blind hit. Um, so Disnew had the option to either lay up or play the ball. Instead, he decides to absolutely blow him up the yeah. elevation and extension is also a factor, which you mentioned, kind of left his feet, also lifted his arm up. Um, so the more criteria that is checked off is yeah. what I believe how you deem that. And 
I think what the refs also were doing in place there is you err on the side of caution. If you give him the match where you think it's a match, they're going to review it anyways. So yeah. at the at the point of right now when we're talking, the, the ruling's probably already out, so we don't know. But if you give them the match and it comes back and, you know, they do their call and they say, you know, we're not going to upheld it. It's just going to be five in a game. It's better for, for the officials to, I think, at least in my opinion, to give them the match, err on the side of caution yeah. rather than only give a five in a game or a five minute and then them have the call and then the suspension come out after. And then it. Yeah. But if you give them a five in a game, it's going to get looked at. So you can add the match on after the fact, if you put the match on the books right away, it's like, you know, trying to find inconclusive evidence that it's not a good goal. You have to find inconclusive evidence. Now that's not a match. And yes, right. As we've stacked on the criteria, it gets worse and worse. But I think if you just give him five in a game or even just five, then I think it sets the, the standard and then you can go back and look at it after the fact, you know, that giving him a five in that situation obviously was a huge tie turner for the new England. Or, oh, damn it. <laughs> the Albany firewolves. Tuning in uh, the jar. Yeah. Tuning in the jar. Um, but yeah, again, going back and looking at it, it was definitely a five minute major. I just don't know if the match on top of it was necessary just because he has to, you know, play on eggshells the rest of the year. Yes, the focus calls for the National Crossing is those illegal body checks. Um, and we all want everybody to be safe. But at the time, like I said, it just it didn't look as bad as it was, but I, I'm it seems as if they have got it right. Yeah. And you you mentioned obviously, you know, Mitch Disney now having to play on eggshells. Well, this mm-hmm. is a player that that doesn't that that's not a part of his game. That's not yeah. why Jamie Dowick brought him in in, in and it does suck that he's not going to be able to fully play with that edge that he brings because he might have that in the back of his mind. But at the same time, then if that's the case, you have to know when to play the line. And Mitch Disnew has always towed that line. Sometimes he's gone over. Sometimes, you know, he, he, he plays that line and that's the type of player he is. And that's the cost of being that player. Sometimes you know, you do go over that line and you have to have the consequences. And, and I think the officials got this one, right. We'll see when it, when it drops tonight, but I think at at minimum, it had to have been five in a game to set that tone. Yeah. I'm just looking at the NLL focus calls. Um, and section one is dangerous contact to the head rule 77, the degree of violence of the illegal check applied upon the opponent is deemed as egregious conduct um, based on extremely significant force applied and additional factors. Um, factors considered are distance traveled, vision of player, amount of force applied and dispersed, where the contact originates and ends up, position of the stick and amount of extension on or off ball, uh, direction and speed of the player receiving the hit, traveling, and player can playing conditions of the role of the defensive player. So, um, yeah, I think they'll take all that into account, and I think we kind of get where we are. And um, maybe they rescind the match and just give them a five and the game is conduct. Maybe they keep the match, but uh, that'll be uh, released by the NLL um, as the week goes on, probably, you know, today as being slash Thursday uh, or closer to Friday. Um, before we get out into our next section, um, shout out Damien Warner, winner of the uh, Canadian Athlete of the Year Award. Uh, he was the betting favorite over at CoolBet at plus 250. But I posted this when I saw the list of nominees. It has to be easily the greatest year for overall Canadian athletics. No doubt. And I think obviously with the Olympics 
that's going to always play into it. And whenever mm-hmm. there is a, an Olympic year, we usually see an Olympian um, win this award, but my goodness, like uh, when you looked at all the nominees or not even the actual like nominees, but just uh, even some of them that were just speculated, like I know at cool bet, like if you looked all the way down the list, like Connor McDavid, uh, <laughs> Layla Fernandez, um, yeah. body Guerrero jr. Like, yeah, he's, he was born in Montreal. Like, so he counted like Pe- Penny Alexiak, um, like Kyle Laren was on the list, Corey Connors. And these are like depth, depth down, down there. And yeah, it's unbelievable. Damian Warner, 110%, uh, deserves the award, whether you look at it from an impact standpoint, you know, being, you know, setting an Olympic record with how many points he had, um, you know, in his event, but just the fact that by definition, when he wins the, the decathlon, like, uh, you know, that that's him being the the best athlete in the world. So if Mm -hmm. he's the best athlete in the world, he's the best athlete in Canada. Yeah. He shattered the record for the event that was created to break all ties of who's the greatest athlete in all of sports. And (laughs) safe to say when you win that and you do it in the fashion that he did uh, was just uh, outstanding. So congratulations to Damien Warner. What uh, an absolutely tremendous, tremendous honor. Before we do get to this, I I did have a question. Yeah. Do you think we'll ever get to a day where a lacrosse player wins the Lou Marsh award? Um, So I think, I think the, the Johnny palace was a top five finalist in like 20, 14 was the year uh, and he lost to, I'm just looking at it now. Uh, Kaylee Humphreys won it, but he was a finalist with Eugenie Bouchard, Bingos Roundich, and Drew Doughty. So that's sort of the closest anyone's come. Uh, Zach Courier had a year where he pretty much won every title and John Grant Jr. did sort of the same thing in 07. I think with the evolution of the NLL and the PLL and the college game and getting to the Olympics, I think there could be a time where we see it. Um, but with so much money given to other athletics events um, and sports, I think it, it might be tough for lacrosse players to get that recognition, but mm-hmm. I don't see it as being too far away that that and time I, will eventually come. And I think you nailed it. I think it, it has to be when lacrosse is in the Olympics, because mm-hmm. I think that's the stage that you'll, they'll, you know, where all the world's eyes will be on the game. And with that being said, say what you will. I know sports writers, they seem to, you know, they get their fair share of chirps. Um, mm-hmm. But what I will say is the one thing that they do do really well is, is shine a light on some of those unsung heroes when it comes to the Lou Marsh. It's not always just about the, you know, the Sidney Crosby's, the Connor McDavid's. Cause I mean, those guys could win it every single year if you just wanted to, to take it off that word. But the war, the award itself was created to, you know, open the eyes to all athletics. So I think, yeah. you know, there's a chance that maybe one day we do see a lacrosse bar. And like you mentioned, those three guys that were even, uh, you know, nominated and, Maybe not even guys. Maybe it's a woman's lacrosse player mm-hmm. that we see well too. So absolutely. Um, just even if they're even if their name is brought up in that room when they're talking about all those athletes, that's an honor in itself. One trillion 
percent. Uh, our next guest and our only guest this week is a true advocate of his fellow Indigenous athletes and lacrosse players. And that is Frank Brown of the Buffalo Bandits. And he started his second annual Cousin Brownies giveaway. And it is an absolutely wonderful cause. Uh, it goes to help, you know, just give back and to raise money and to just allow yourself to take a step back and realize that there are other people out there that can use our help. And he's done an incredible job with it, but he's also very well-spoken and we have an incredibly in-depth conversation uh, about the raffle, but more importantly uh, about the life of indigenous athletes, the Haudenosaunee athletes, what they go through on a daily yearly basis um, and how we can continue to help them and learn from them and continue to support them. So this is Frank Brown one-on-one right here on the off the crossbar podcast. It is the holiday season, and that means it's a time for giving, a time for family, time for friends, and the time for Cousin Brownie's holiday giveaway. Joining us now on the show are the Buffalo Bandits and one hell of a nice guy, Frank Brown. How are you, brother? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, happy to be on the show with you guys. Uh, obviously, the first weekend, the National Cross League underway. Bandit Land was rocking over the weekend. Uh, your boys came away with a big win, but we've got some other things to get into uh it is cousin brownie's holiday giveaway the second version um you reached out to us to try to kind of give it some more push as we get into the the final stages of this but i how did this all come about because this is the second time you've done this uh it is such a, a great little cost yeah so uh like year one was you know uh directly in response to you know the circumstances that we were facing you know, with the pandemic, right? I think, um, you know, the impact uh, that it has had on just about everyone, you know, financially, socially, you know, and, and, and mentally, right? And so, you know, I figured, you know, like, I, you know, I'm in a position to help, right? You know, and it's, it's like, uh, you know, why not? You know, I, I, where I come from, right? Where I'm living now, I'm back home on, on the Cataragas Reserve. And, uh, you know, everyone's really tight knit, you know what I mean? So you understand, you know, what's going on with everyone else, right? And it just seemed like, well, let's backtrack a little bit to the summertime, you know, like kids are at home going stir crazy, right? I got a 16 year old uh, little sister, you know, and just being able to talk to her about, you know, how hard it is you know, to not be able to be with your friends, to not be able to play sports, you know, da, 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 da. you know, I talked to uh, my cousin, uh, Robbie Jimerson. I talked to Zed Williams and I talked to Ron John, you know, and we're like, you know, let's, let's get some practices going for these boys, you know? And so that's what we did, you know, uh, twice a week during last summer, we had uh, field practices, you know, with guys, with kids from, you know, Allegheny, Cataragus and, Tonawanda territories, you know, and it was awesome, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, showing up and getting put through the ringer, you know, uh, physically and mentally, you know, from guys like Ron Zed and myself, you know, it was a, a challenge, like a, a, that in itself was a challenge, you know, and the fact that these guys just kept coming back week after week. And then, you know, we were able to, at the end of the summer, you know, top it off with a scrimmage from a scrimmage with a club team from Buffalo. You know, we kicked the snot out of them, which was great, but, you know, 
<laughs> the experience all in itself was awesome, you know? And, you know, that was like one of the first times, you know, uh, I think myself or any of these guys were able to just like, you know, tap into the community, you know, on our own terms, you know, like, sure, like things would come up, you know, like, uh, you know, stuff sponsored by our tribes or by our schools, you know, hey, you know, come and talk to kids, this, that and the other, you know, but, you know, we kind of did this whole thing totally grassroots, you know, on our own, you know, with the help of my, my, my cousin. And, uh, you know, it worked out awesome, you know, and as you know, we're getting into the holiday season, you know, you hear about, you know, people not going back to work, right. And, you know, the kids are still cooped up in the house, you know, it's just like, I myself, you know, some of the most fond memories of my childhood was Christmas morning, you know, like me and my little sister, you know, like she was the one I went to every morning where I was just like, Hey, you know what I mean? Even like, you know, even as I got older, I was like, Hey, you know what I mean? Like that, that excitement for Christmas morning was still there with her. So even as I got into my teen years, you know, I had my little sisters where I'd be like, yo, get up, let's go. You know? And so like, I, I just know, you know, the joy of the holiday season. Right. And, you know, you know, family and I were just, you know, kind of boggling the ideas, right? Like how can we help, you know, people this holiday season? And, uh, you know, that's how we came up with cousin Brownie, you know, uh, it's, it's a really cool concept. Obviously, anytime that you give back to the community, um, it's fantastic, but the way that, that you came up with this raffle and, uh, it just seems last year at least, and this year it's the same thing, but last year, uh, as every day went by better and better, awesome gifts and prizes came out. And that was to do with how great of the lacrosse community is, um, you know, reaching out to you and donating some of these prizes. And I'm sure you reached out uh, to your network as well, but just kind of let the folks know who are listening, how they can get involved and uh, what the raffle is all about. Yeah. So uh, we have a website, uh, cousinbrownie.org. You know, I think, uh, Every detail, you know, is on there, you know, when it comes to, you know, the inspiration, you know, how, what, where, why, when, you know, uh, it's been a, a pretty big tool for us, you know, and obviously my social media, you know, and, 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 you know, I was, you know, since I've reached out, I've, I've been thinking about, you know, where the, the whole raffle idea came from, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it's something like when I was a kid, I was a bit of a gear rat. You know, I, I hate to admit that now that I'm older, you know, but um, <clears throat> my best friend growing up was uh, his name's Jesse Jimerson. He's uh, Sid Smith's uh, first cousin. OK, and uh, Jesse, you know, grew up on one of the Seneca territories, uh, but his family's obviously from Six Nations. And, you know, every year, you know, Sid would be done with juniors or he'd come back from school or he'd end like an NLL season. And he'd give Jesse something, you know, something from the team. And I thought that was like, so cool. You know what I mean? And, and one year he gave, uh, he gave Jesse like a Iroquois nationals helmet, you know, and it was too big for him, you know? So he was like, Hey, do you want it? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Like give me that thing. <laughs> and, 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 and the thing is, it was too big for me too. You know what I mean? So I, 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 I could never wear it, you know, but the, the way I treasured that thing, you know what I mean? I put it in my room, you know, so like, like every day I'd see it, you know, like that was my, like my one day, you know what I mean? 
And, you know, as you know, I, I started growing and getting older and, and, and developing my own career, you know, I think like that was something that I really took pride in, you know, is every time, you know, I'd get back from college or I'd get back from juniors or I'd get back from, you know, a season in the pros is just like, I have all this stuff, you know, and it's just like, you know, like kids that, you know, I knew it would mean something to, or kids that would like come up to me, you know, from back home that were like, you know, that's awesome. You know, I, I took like real pride in being able to be that guy to be like, here you go. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't know if like they took it the same way that I took it, you know, like, you know, this is like my one day, you know what I mean? Like, but, you know, just being in that position is, uh, is something that I took a lot of pride in, you know? And then, so I think like, that's a lot of where, you know, cousin Brownie comes from. I think I always laugh, you know, when, when you see NHL players give away sticks before games, they sound like they have a dozen sticks just at their leisure. It's just sitting right there. Lacrosse players, we don't really have that as much. And I always laugh when little kids ask players for their game sticks, like coming off the floor in pregame and stuff like that. But we definitely have a surplus of equipment lying around, a surplus of jerseys lying around. I think it's just awesome that that the guys understand that you can only hang so many jerseys on your wall at your house in your man cave. So why not give these away and donate them and, and let someone else experience the joy of having this equipment who are some of the guys that have reached out to you this year to, to donate things and maybe some guys that you were surprised donated? Um, so the way that I did it, you know, is, you know, I just reached out to guys that, um, you know, I felt were a good fit for cousin Brownie, you know, um, the Cody Jamesons, the, the Randy Stotts, you know, the Brody Merrill's, you know, like, like, people don't realize like how much Brody has done for the careers of young native lacrosse players. You know what I mean? And, and it just so happens to be that he's, you know, one of the greatest players of all time, you know? So like the way, you know, I went about, you know, reaching out to people for donations is a, a, a lot. It has a lot to do with, you know, my own biases about, you know, people that, you know, I like, you know, the way they play or, you know, who they are and what they represent, you know? So that's, that's, that's really that. Yeah. It's pretty cool that, that, you know, you talk about the, the relationships our players have with not just young players growing up, but young indigenous players that are going the game. You know, you talk about Zed now coming in the league and Ron John now coming in the league, the, the group of kids that are coming from the Seneca nation in the last few years continues to grow more and more. How are you seeing that relation, you know, in, in the, the quality of life that the kids are now having, knowing that there's a way out? Uh, you know, think about, you know, what Zed Williams has done for the game in the last, you know, two years, you know, like think about what Zach Miller did for college lacrosse, you know, while he was at Denver. You know, just think about, you know, the, it's, it's easy to say, you know, like, yeah, they're really good, the cross players, but like you take into account the state of the game and, and how heavily influenced it is by indigenous players. It's just like, you, you can't overlook that. You know what I mean? It's like, sure. We are where we are with the cross, but like, why, you know, like I, I, I tell people this all the time, you know, like Zach Miller you know, he's one of the greatest college midfielders of all time, you know, and it's like, it's hard to like, even, you know, like 
argue that you know you got a you got a lacrosse player who you know heavily influenced by you know indigenous style or Haudenosaunee style rather you know Canadian style American you know he 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 was like the culmination of all those styles wrapped into one player you know like the most subtle dominant force on any field that you've ever seen you know and that's just just my opinion right and you know obviously Lyle Thompson you know and you know it's great to see Zeddy you know getting into a situation where, you know, he's appreciated for just how special he is, you know, not only as a player, but as a person, you know, I think for our kids in our communities, you know, to have someone to look up to like Zeddy, you know, cause there's not a kid, you know, in Allegheny or Cataragas that doesn't know who Zeddy Williams is, you know, and intentional or not, you know, the person that he is and, and, and the way that he carries himself and the way that, you know, he works, you know, day in and day out, you know, it's just a great example for, you know, kids who have, you know, those aspirations for their life. The NLL uh, announced a couple of weeks ago that NLL Unites uh, is something that uh, they're launching this season. And, um, you know, one of the main pillars is, you know, honoring and educating those uh, of the indigenous um, roots of the game of lacrosse. And, and, and Teddy and I have had conversations about this, that, you know, putting stickers on the back of helmets with every child lives matter is important. Um, you know, getting the word out, having things on social media is great, but there needs to be more than just, you know, the buzzwords online. What do you think that this NLL Unites can do to do more than just start the conversation? Um, I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've had, you know, uh, conversations um, with, you know, a few, you know, NLL Native American lacrosse players, you know, recently. And, and, you know, part of the reason why I, I chose to come on here with you guys is because, you know, you guys get it and are willing to listen. Like you have like a legitimate background and understanding, you know, who we are and where we come from, you know, as opposed to, you know, just asking, you know, for the, for the answers that you want to hear, you know what I mean? It's not so much about, you know, asking the questions that are based on your understanding, you know what I mean? It's just like, come on here and let, let's talk about this stuff. You know what I mean? And so I think, you know, having, you know, those types of conversations, right. And, and, and being as uh, diligent and as forward when it comes to promoting, you know, not, not the narrative that, you know, people can like bounce back and forth from, you know, like the narrative that is actually the reality of, of, of what's going on, you know, what happened, what's happening, how we're doing, you know, what we want, you know, I, I think that if that answers your question, you know, I think. Absolutely. When, yeah, when you look at the amount of Haudenosaunee players in the National Lacrosse League right now, and, and even in the Premier League, um, how cool is it to see just the, the continuing numbers of guys that are, that are in it, but more importantly, that are using their platform to spread awareness. We, we, we have an awesome, you know, kind of uh, brotherhood, you know, when it comes to, 
you know, what we represent, you know, and who, who we're coming from. You know, I, I, I always like, I always say like, I'm not from, you know, Allegheny. I am of Allegheny. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I think every one of these guys would say the same thing. You know, Abby Bomberry, I am not from Akwesasne. I am of Akwesasne. You know what I mean? Randy, Bomber, Six. You know what I mean? It's it, mm-hmm. like, so they do really good by, you know, their representation of, you know, who we are and where we come from. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, with that comes the confidence and the ability and, you know, the, the willingness to say, hey, you know, like, I'm doing it right. You know, and like, this is where we come from. And, and you can't, you can't say anything about it because that, this is the way it is. You know, you want to argue with me? I, I've lived it my whole life, you know? So I, I think it's awesome when you, when you look across the landscape of lacrosse, you know, and, and the, the, the individuals, you know, like the, like the true testament of each of their character. It's just like, all right, go after it. You know, you're going to get nowhere. You know, this is what they're saying. This is what they believe. And, and you got to take it for what it is. I think Adam Levy's article on the Kilgores that was put out uh, the other week was an absolutely fantastic look at um, a family of brothers that live, breathe and lacrosse on the floor, but also off of it. And I think, you know, you made the comment of, of Richie saying, you know, play with some jam. And that's just kind of something that's always stuck with you. And those are sort of the success stories. But when you look at a guy like Darius Kilgore, you know, he had some struggles off the floor and, and he is, you know, a, an example of someone who was a shining light when he was on the floor, but had some demons off of it, but is now showing the success stories that, you know, you can take a few steps back and still come out happy and strong on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you want to talk about like, uh, you know, my first two years at college, you know, there's, there's plenty of it there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I dropped out of college you know, and, you know, I was fortunate enough, you know, to go back and, and, and figure it out, you know, but like, when I talk about like the brotherhood uh, with these guys, it's all based on shared experience. You know, you, you don't think any of those guys, you know, in the league right now, have, haven't, you know, tripped up, you know, because of, you know, being tossed out in the world, knowing that, uh, like, growing up the way that we grew up, you know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I had to like take a step away from social media for a little while because it was just like, you know, how are you not getting this? You know, it's just like as much as like you try to like push that narrative without offending people, you know, I feel like that's something that I'm, I'm kind of good at, you know, but I was even getting to the point where it's just like, you know, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. You know, like this is, this is like really real, you know? So <clears throat> To have guys like Darius and Richie, man. I mean, Darius Kilgore coached the uh, the Seneca War Chiefs. You know that that's 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 here. You know what I mean? And and for like all of these young men to be able to play junior B lacrosse for Darius Kilgore, you know, I I I don't think they, you know, fully appreciate you know just how awesome that was. You know what I mean? And how much of a privilege you know that should have been. You know what I mean? And one day, and one day they will, you know, and when that happens, you know, they'll be inclined to look back and be like, okay, you know what I mean? I learned this from somebody who's been through it, you know? And so I know how to teach other guys how to do it. 
You mentioned that Seneca War Chiefs team. I've had, you know, the pleasure to watch them a few times being involved with Junior B Lacrosse, whether it be broadcasting or coaching. Uh, and, you know, what he's done with that program uh, is pretty remarkable. They can go up, you know, against the top teams in Canada every year at the Founders Cup. Uh, and I think it's only a matter of time until they find themselves winning a Founders Cup. Uh, it came close, um, you know, a few years ago. Um, but they're a team that year after year, they have more talent and you can tell that the passion that he coaches with, it, it translates onto the floor. And one of the guys who blew me away um, is Ron John. And he's a guy that I think one day could be a superstar um, in the National Lacrosse League. You obviously know him well. Uh, what makes him special uh, of a player and, and, and a person as well, too? Well, first of all, imagine if they played an uh, Ontario season. You know right. what I mean? Imagine if they had, yeah. you know, a full season of that level of competition. You know what I mean? Before, I, I, before you get into that, I think that's always the big thing. It's what happens in those big games. It's a lot of the, the adversity that seems to shake them because they're not used to playing those talented teams that, you know, Alora's or the Green Gales or Orangeville, they play those high caliber games, you know, almost the whole way through and a playoff where Seneca, you know, they're always the best team. And I think hundred percent, I'm in that league. I've said it for a long time. We should be welcoming welcoming them into our league because I, there's no reason why they can't compete night in and night out. And I think, to be quite honest, a lot of teams probably don't want them in because they're scared because that's <laughs> taking a playoff spot away from them. But go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um. So just getting back to Ron. I mean, Ron is a kid that's done it all the the, the right way. You know what I mean? I. Like he comes, you know, from the same upbringing, the same experience, you know, as, uh, you know, Zeddy Williams and myself and, you know, a couple others, Randy, you know, the list goes on, you know, and, 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 you know, he, you know, you look at the progression of his career, you know, at Albany and it's just like, you know, just get better, you know, just get better, just get better. It's, it's, it's easy. Well, it's easier to be, you know, the native kid that shows up and it's just like, wow, you know, this is our guy, you know, from day one. And, and, and so many people are used to that narrative, you know, but like for a guy like Ron, you know, to, to really, you know, blossom in a four-year career while going to school, you know, while balancing, you know, what it's like to miss home while being out in the world, you know, the culture shock of going to college is like pretty, you know, like I, I can't put it into words, you know, if you grow up, on the res, you know, you're born and raised on the res and you go off to school, you know, it's a difficult time, you know, and a lot of people, you know, can't get through that, you know, and for somebody like Ron, you know, who didn't really get all the burn, you know, in his first two years, you know, wasn't like the guy, like everyone was just like, yeah, you know, like he was somebody who had to be part of a culture, you know, he was somebody who had to, you know, be on the practice squad, you know, and, and, and make his way up. You know, I, I just can't say enough good things about, you know, his journey and, you know, who he's become. You know, he's he's back home in the summer times working with kids, you know, like two, three days a week. You know, he's 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 doing foot drills, footwork drills. He's doing dodging stuff. You know, he's 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 actually like interacting with our young men, you know, and, and, and that's on his own accord. You know, I, like me or Zeddy didn't reach out to him. It was like, hey, man, you should do this with us. You know, he's doing it himself, you know, and. 
I, I, I can't, like I said, I can't say enough good things about Ron and, you know, I look forward to, to his career in the NLL. Why is it such a challenge for some, some kids to leave the res and to go to, you know, bigger cities or colleges? Um, why do they, why do you think they do struggle? Is it just um, a culture shock? Is it, um, I, I don't know how to really, you know, phrase the next part of the question but why do you think some guys struggle because nobody knows nobody has a clue where we're from or the Mm -hmm. way that we see the world you know like growing up on the res is a lot different you know like you know the the i'm so the discussion about residential schools and generational trauma you know what i mean like you can you can explain that to somebody and you know, they still like, there's a lot of people you can explain that to, and they have no clue that like, they they cannot bridge that gap. They cannot connect to that at all, but because it's just like, well, yeah, but, but it's a, there is no, but, you know, like, like the way that we grow up, the way that we see the world is entirely different. And then, you know, everyone outside of the res thinks they have an understanding of what the res life is. You know, like, like they have an understanding of, you know, indigenous culture, you know, and, and this, that, the other, you know, like everyone used to like come up to me at college and just be like, you know, there's no rules on the res. And it was just like, you know, like, like you have to like, really like, like the amount of growth that we have to do on our own is, is ridiculous because well, it comes with like the realization that you have to do that growth on your own because nobody else is going to give a shit. You know, everyone yeah. else is just going to like, they're, they're stuck in their ways and like what they think. And the only way that you're going to get over that hump and you're the only way you're going to find, you know, uh, you know, the comfort and who you are and where you are in that atmosphere is by yourself, you know, and it's, it's unfortunate, you know? And I think, you know, I always tell this story. I was in, I was in a class my freshman year and uh, it was like an environmental studies class. And we were, they were talking about, you know, indigenous culture, you know, there was, there was like a, there was like a, you know, part of the course on indigenous culture and, you know, how they treat the, the environment and how they view it. And this kid, you know, just like model of upper middle-class America you know, raises his hand, you know, this is a really educated kid boarding school, the whole nine. He raises his hand and he says, you know, I, I have, I know someone who says that he's Indian, but he like lives in a house and he like wears real clothes and he drives a car. And like, there were people in that class, like, cool, like good point. And I was just like sitting there, like, (laughs) where the hell am I? Like, what's going on here? You know what I mean? And You know, if you grow up in a proximity to like native people, you, you understand, well, at least you like know they exist, right? right? So like, there's like the, you know, cross town, you know, rivalries, you know, school by school, like football, basketball, high school stuff, all that, right? And people like in those, in those moments, there's stuff said, but it's like totally meant as like an insult, right? But then you go out to college and somebody calls you chief and it's just like, you can't fight that impulse to be like, well, like I associate that with what I grew up with. You know, somebody calls me chief, 
you know, back where I come from, like there's, there's, there's something going on here. You know what I mean? And then, so like, it's just like the disassociation of like what you're, you know, subjugated to your whole life. And then like going out and having to deal with people that have absolutely zero clue. It's, 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 it's really, really a struggle. You mentioned that word or, or phrase, um, generational uh, trauma. And I think that's one thing that not a lot of people, um, you know, outside uh, of, of your world takes into account because they, they feel if, you know, it's a couple of generations removed, maybe, you know, having, you know, residential schools, it, it doesn't affect them. But I had a very powerful, powerful an informative conversation with Kurt Styers over the weekend. And he explained, you know, what that really meant and what it does mean. Can you kind of maybe touch on that and, and tell the, tell people that maybe don't know what that means and, and the impact it has on every single generation, not thus just those who maybe have been in an, uh, a residential school. Yeah. Um, so I was listening to, um, Teddy's interview with Delby from last year and, uh, you know, he said it best, you know, like, you like break it down. Like if you like are, um, you know, subjugated to a thought pattern or, or a way of being treated, you know, whether it's like, you know, like my, my territory, I'm, I'm from the Allegheny territory, um, Seneca nation. And, you know, two generations ago, army Corps engineers came on our land said, get the hell out, burned our houses. And then they flooded, you know, a bunch of communities, you know? And, you know, like, think about what that does, you know? Think about what that does for the way that, like, you know, people look at the world, you know? The, the amount of skepticism and distrust that is, that is, like, established in that moment, you know? And that is, like, passed on to, you know, future generations, right? You talk about like, like Delby, Delby said it best. He talked about how like, you know, at these schools, you weren't taught how to, you weren't taught how to nurture because you weren't nurtured. You know what I mean? Like you were, you know, an Indian who had to like erase that you're an Indian. You know what I mean? Like, like this, like the way that everything was structured and established, like those are learned patterns that you carry with you for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? So like, I just think, uh, you know, geez. Yeah. I don't know. I think, uh, like, like last year with the, the, the interview I did with Devin, you know, like those aren't my stories to tell, you know what I mean? So I like there, there, there's, there's, you know, uh, there's a lot of our elders that, you know, don't want to go there. You know what I mean? And so like, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not my right to like put that stuff out there. Right. It's all about what they're willing to share, you know? And, and, and thankfully, well, not thankfully, but like, you know, I, I, I have, you know, uh, you know, family members that went to that went to Carlisle Indian School. I have family members that went to Quaker Indian School. I have family members that went to Thomas Indian School. I have uh, family members that went to Hampton Indian School. So like, I have like a, a pretty, you know, extensive background, 
you know, when it comes to, you know, the Indian boarding schools and, you know, both sides of my family were part of, you know, that forceful relocation, you know, when, when, when they dammed up the Allegheny river and then they flooded all of our land. So, you know, I have heard, you know, stories from elders, you know, and, and a lot of them, you know, didn't really know how to, uh, like translate that into what they were, what they were trying to get across. You know, I, I went to, you know, uh, a school, there was 13 of us in the class from, from K to eight, you know, I went to a school where all I learned was, uh, you know, my, my language, my traditions, you know, my ceremonies, you know, and the, the, the man who ran that, he was actually my great uncle, um, you know, every now and again, he would just like talk about the day that, you know, they came to take his uncle or, or his brother, you know, like, like he would, he would just tell that story and then leave it at that. You know what I mean? Because he's like, you know, the reason why we're here is to teach you guys, you know, so like it lives on, you know, like that whole era of like, kill the man, save the Indian, you know, like you can't, you can't just erase that. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just be like, oh yeah, that happened. You know, like, let's move on. Like people are going to carry that with the rest of the, with them, with them for the rest of their lives. And they're going to do everything that they can to make sure that is, that isn't going to happen again, you know? And, and, and that might be translated in, you know, passing on, you know, the ideas of distrust for anything outside of where we come from, you know? And like that, 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 and, that ties into, you know, the struggle with going off to college, right? So, I mean, yeah, that's another thing. I hope I answered that for you. Oh, your answers have been absolutely fantastic, my man. Um, since this whole every child matters, residential school kind of topic of conversation has come to light, have you noticed the change societally or are we still light years from even making progress? I, I, I don't care because I, I see what it's doing within our communities. You know, it's, it's putting a face to, you know, some of the issues for our future generations. You know what I mean? I, my, my focus isn't on, you know, the way that it's received out there. It's, it's about, you know, our youth recognizing, you know, what's going on and, and, and being, being able to do something about it, you know, breaking, breaking some of these cycles. You know, as, as far as, you know, like I said, you know, as far as being that kid who's being offended, you know, for being called chief or has to sit in class and like feel like this big because somebody talked about how they have a friend that's, you know, the granddaughter of a Cherokee princess, or they have a friend that says he's an Indian, but lives in a house and drives a car and people being like, oh yeah, good point. You know what I mean? Like mm. I want, I, I want people I want our future generations to, to be able to go to each other, you know, and like, you know, like part of like the fabric of, you know, our ideologies as a culture is about being together, you know, putting, you know, like at the end of every address or at the end of every, at the end of our Thanksgiving address, you know, we, we say we put our minds together as one, right? Like, that's the thing, like, it's all about that harmony, right? And, and to be able to, you know, <clears throat> identify that and carry that, you know, it's not about 
what they think. It's about, you know, what we think about each other and like knowing that we have each other's back and knowing that that stuff exists, you know, like I want them to get to a point where they expect that, you know, and don't get offended. Don't feel like an outcast just like laugh at it because that's the way it is. You know, don't let their arrogant or their ignorance, you know, keep you from doing what you want to do with your life. The Buffalo Bandits, uh, the team you're with now had their first game and the Hokanana Coke was absolutely phenomenal in his very first game. And you talked about, you know, and we talked about, you know, guys who had struggles and guys who had issues um, just kind of being able to take that next step and put that in the past. And there was, you know, a lot of people maybe doubted Tohoka after how his career at Albany ended. How nice was it to see that young man step onto a stage um, and play in front of some of the best fans in the league, play the game that, you know, is medicine to have that kind of performance? How special a night was that for him and and for, you know, the Haudenosaunee people? Uh, I loved it, yeah. you know, um, as someone who you know, had to play the game, you know, had to go to, you know, uh, a nice private school and, and struggle and get through all the stuff, you know, that, that we've talked about before, you know, I was, uh, you know, I'll admit I was a little indifferent, you know, to, to how his career at Albany ended, you know, but, <clears throat> you know, just to see, you know, who he's become, you know, and who he's continuing to become, you know, and to see him have that success and, and to experience the camaraderie that exists in that bandits locker room, you know, like, I think you guys mentioned it, you know, on your, on your, uh, face off, like face off weekend, you know, to be in that locker room and to have that type of leadership, you know, it, it, it it's, it's infectious, you know what I mean? And, you know, you talk about like life experience and learning from it, you know what I mean? Like I said, I dropped out of college. You know, I was, I was really close to just going to work, you know, it's just like, yeah, whatever, you know, college sucks, you know, and people don't get me like F that. Right. But then, you know, I took the step to be like, all right, let's, let's figure something out. Something's got to change and then let's get to where we got to be. You know, I see that in Dehoga every day, you know, like he lives, you know, in market now and, you know, I'm able to work out with him a couple of days a week and we work out as a group and, uh, you know, just to see him go through kind of, you know, some of the, the backlash, you know, to, to his circumstances and to see him, you know, stay true to, you know, what he's got to do and to, to have that success, you know, it's just like, it was, it was honestly like the moment where I was just like, man, you know, good for him. Like that, that was awesome. Right. So another, another, you know, young guy, I just, you know, couldn't be prouder of. You guys have a ton of guys that that are living in market and it clearly shows whether you're scrolling through Instagram, watching on the floor, whatever it may be. It seems like you guys are such a tight a knit group. Uh, do you think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you guys do have a good core group of guys in market and you guys are, like you said, working out every day, hanging out and, and you know, it's not just you fly in on, on the weekend, you know, get a little morning shoot around, play a game, and then you guys take off. I think, you know, the, the foundation of any good culture is leadership. You know, I think I'm playing for John Tavares. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, like I, I'm from here. You know what I mean? And, and he's every bit of what you would expect. You know, 
like he's a he's a look you in the eye kind of guy you know this is how it is you know this is how it's going to go i'm going to help you as much as i can where i can you know and 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 you know same with chugger you know same with cause you know like uh, from top down you know like this uh this organization just has you know a great foundation of leadership and you know it encourages you know everyone else to be to be leaders in their own right you know and as far as you know the chemistry and uh you know the guys living in market you know like they're like i'm 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 still working my way into it you know but like <laughs> those guys are all those guys are all best friends you know so i mean it, it couldn't be a better situation when you talk about you know having two years off and then being thrown right back into the season for sure um before we get out of here do we need to talk about your guys bills are you guys going to be okay <laughs> like, listen uh, <laughs> I, I, I i spent uh, i spent like 20 years of my life so my family had season tickets from when i was like eight to maybe like 13 or 14 so i was at every game you know for six or seven years and those those were the tough those were the tough years you know i remember one time we were one game away from making the wild card and we were playing pittsburgh last game of the year and Pittsburgh was 14 and two. They weren't going to play a single starter. And I was just like, yes, you know what I mean? We're going to the playoffs. And they came this. with all their, they came with all their backup guys and they just beat the snot out of them. Like, <laughs> like, you want to talk about like a, a, a heavy sustained dose of heartbreak, you know, like that was the bills for a long time. So like the fact that we're seven and five and we're in the hunt, you know, and like everyone's like sounding the alarms, like that's that's ridiculous. You know, we've made playoffs three of the four, three of the last four years. You know, everything's good in Buffalo. That's how I feel about the Edmonton Oilers right now. <laughs> <laughs> Frankie, you're always you're always the voice of reason because uh, yeah, after that Monday nighter, I was ready to. <laughs> but you're always the voice of reason. You, you you bring things back, and just look at the Bucks last year. I think they were seven and five at one point. They were able to turn things around. So I still have I still have faith in Sean McDermott. The culture that he's built there is huge. Yes, there were some questionable uh, coaching decisions on Monday night, but you have convinced me not to hit the panic button. Yeah, it's it, there's there's no point, man. We're, everything's all good, <laughs> you know. It's like oh my god, like you know how much tape is out on Josh Allen. You know how many like defensive like groups are just like how the hell do we do this? And then they they implement something to stop this. And then so like people, you know what I mean? They're, like the professional athlete in me is like looking at it for what it is, right? Yeah. So I think I think I think we're gonna be fine. We got Bucks uh, this week. Who who do we follow with? I know I we got packed after a. Yeah, we have Pats, but I think scary. before that we have, uh, I, I want to say Carolina at Buffalo. Yeah. And then, Belichick yeah, with two weeks. Belichick with two weeks to prepare is uh, pretty <laughs> He only had to throw the ball three times and look what happened. Oh, that's <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> Sorry, Frankie, we're staying positive. I forgot we're staying positive. Staying positive. Staying positive. <laughs> Uh, cousinbrownie.org is the website. Um, this whole thing is going to end over the weekend. Yeah. Uh, so Monday night, we're going to close it up. 
you know, I think last year, last year, we, last year we planned this thing in three days, launched it and was just like, you know, playing catch up the rest of the time. You know, I think by the time we got done with all the shopping and had everything delivered, uh, it was like Christmas Eve, you know, so we're a little ahead of it this year. We're going to, we're going to shut it down, uh, on Monday and, uh, yeah. Uh, Frankie, can I donate a Jersey? A, a jer- absolutely. Okay. I'll, uh, yeah, you I'll, I'll shoot you a DM. I'll shoot you a picture of one, uh, in my closet. I'll, and I'll, uh, I'll add it to the donations. Okay. Absolutely. You know, sign it and get it over yeah. here. Yeah. I'll uh, make that happen. Be- All right. Awesome, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries, buddy. Uh, you and the Bandits, uh, I-90 battle against Rochester, always one of my favorite nights of the year. Uh, best of luck this year. Best of luck um, to the foundation, to the organization, and all the best to your family over the holidays, my friend. I appreciate you doing this. Okay. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Happy holidays to you and yours, man. All right, that's Frankie Brown. Uh, great cause with the raffle. Please, if you can, head over to cousinbrownie.org. Uh, you can buy some tickets. And yes, I have uh, donated a jersey. It was um, the best ugliest jersey I had in my collection uh, from when the Rochester Nighthawks did a Mardi Gras night. Um, so that is now on there. So please uh, buy some raffle tickets if you can and help donate to a great cause. Uh, but Pat, just just listening to him speak and, and we kind of did the interview on Zoom and you could just see him taking the pause in the time to really make sure that what he was saying had the impact that he wanted it to. And I believe he said everything as eloquently as possible. Yeah. You know what? Frankie Brown has been one of my favorite players to, you know, have a conversation with whether it's, you know, the difficult ones like that we had at points today, or if it's even just about the Buffalo bills or, you know, best our favorite places to to get wings in western new york like the guy is an absolute stand-up human being um and he's super passionate about his culture his people the game of lacrosse and it comes through in that interview mm-hmm. and um he still has a long career ahead of him um whether it's coaching playing lacrosse uh but he is someone that i would love to see get involved in the media because one he's a tremendous speaker two he thinks the game so well, but three, um, he can talk about things that not everyone can, and he could use his platform, which would be just tremendous. Currently on the band, it's active roster, but also coaching uh, down the road with Canisius. So we wish Frankie the best of luck, not only uh, with the Griffs and the Bandits and, of course, the raffle. Um, before we kind of move on to box bets and uh, week two in the National Cross League, uh, we kind of mentioned the TSN uh, game and, and just what it meant, but 88,000 people was the or 88k was the number uh, reported for that TSN broadcast. And sure, when you look at the grand scheme of you know what it was going up against, you know hockey night in Canada, uh, the Leafs were playing, uh, college football, whatever else was on your TV and you could possibly watch. That's a pretty decent start for the first time being on TSN and since 2016. Yeah, and if you are wondering where those numbers are coming from, it's uh, from Adam Seaborn, AHB Seaborn, um, on Twitter. And he's an awesome follow, uh, not just for lacrosse, but everything uh, when it comes to marketing, um, you know, ratings. He is a, a really, really cool follow. And um, I actually reached out to him. He's a big lacrosse fan, actually. 
And uh, he said that, you know, I was asking him, what do you think about those numbers? Because you can throw a number out there and you don't really know um, what, if it's good or not. But he said it was a very solid starting number. But the thing that really stuck out to him was the age 25 to 54. Yeah, it's the demogra- which is like that's the, the demographic, yeah. Yeah, which is like the most important demographic. It was 43%. Um, the average sporting event is about 30. Um, so advertisers, uh, partners, the league, they'll be super, super excited to hear that 43% of that audience was in the 25 to 54 because that age is the age that has the disposable income. Uh, They're the ones who subscribe to TV. So, or subscribe to online um, subscriptions for, for television. So that's the biggest number that he, he thought was important. Um, But yeah, what what could the NL draw in a you know in, in a couple of months when there isn't a Leaf game on Saturday or there mm-hmm. isn't Hockey Night in Canada um, or the World Juniors in the next few, in the next little exactly bit. <laughs> exactly so, yeah, so they're, they're going to go through a tough time in the next few weeks. One hundred percent of the games are going to be on, but when we're in the heat of the battle, when it's when it's the the stretch drive, I think this number continually rises. I agree. I agree. It's a great starting point. People need yeah. to realize we have to start somewhere, and I think that's a great starting point. Uh, and we enjoy it. I enjoyed it. We really did. We really, really did. Um, who's your best forward of the week? We're going to do one each. Forward, D, right. goalie, rookie. Who's your best? I'm going to go with the guy that gave me the biggest impact at the start of the weekend, mm-hmm. um, Mitch Jones. I thought yeah. he was phenomenal. I thought that, you know, our last podcast we talked, I said, wow, this this – this Vancouver stealth or stealth. Tuny in the jar. Two bucks. Two bucks. Uh, this 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 Warriors offense could be really really good, and yep. unfortunately they were not really really good. They had some chances, but when the game kind of went you know down to the wire and things started to get tough, um, it was Mitch Jones who put the team on his back, and he was yep. electric. Um, they had some other, you know, great points. Adam Sheridan BDs. I think he picked it up. He was snake bit. He could only score that one goal and ended up being the game winner. So who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but from, from start to finish, Mitch Jones was the best player on the floor. Uh, and it showed as he was a big, big part of the reason why they pulled out off that win. Um, do rag Mitch was, uh, having a game and I don't want to give anything. I don't want to give too much away, but on this week's coast to coast, you might want to pay attention to Tyson Geik's burning take. Ooh, a little, little social tease there. Um, I'm going to go with the guy who had the best overall weekend, uh, top to bottom, uh, out the front door. And that was Dane Smith, uh, three goals, six assists, eight loose balls. Uh, he was scoring in transition. He was just unstoppable one-on-one. He does have the best, like, hesitation stutter step in the league like he lost so many defenders on that calgary ref i don't know how many times he left reese callies in his wake as he went underneath um he was just a dominant force all game long and a huge reason why that buffalo bandits offense uh could put up the most goals in nll history for one one season i I think they really do have a chance a good chance and just to think that like you know a guy like brad mccully may may not get in the lineup um, just because of how consistent that front six is out the front door, the front seven is out that front door. Um, but for a rookie like Brad, that's a heck of a, an offense to sit around. Um, we'll skip to defenders. 
Um, this can include transition players because we don't like to discriminate, uh, but I'm going to go with Mike Messenger. If you go back and watch that Saskatchewan-Halifax game, he was a wrecking ball. He threw about four or five guys onto the ground with ease. He was finding loose balls, uh, two dimes, four loosies, two cost turnovers, um, sparked the transition game and has taken his game to another level. And it's just crazy to think of a defense that has Rubish, has Corbeil, has Dilks, has added Matt Beers, has found life in young Holden Garland, and now Messenger is taking his game to an even another level. It's just mind-boggling. But I think he may be their best defender on their team. I, he may not get the, the, the press that Rubish is going to get or Beers or whoever, but I think he may be their most valuable defender on that back end because of what he can do. That last sentence, I think, is the perfect way to to put Mike Messenger. He's the most valuable defender. Is he your best one-on-one defender? Probably not. Is he your best takeaway defender? Probably not. Um, is he the guy that you want to take, you know, pick off a pass and, and go down on a breakaway? He's on that list, but maybe there's a couple other guys that you'd rather finish. But overall, everything, his body of work that he can do um, – He's unbelievable. The impact he had in that game was remarkable. I was blown away uh, by how good he was. He was tremendous in the last time uh, Halifax and Saskatchewan played at the nest. He was even better. And um, watching him and Graham Hossett go toe to toe, throwing guys to the ground yeah. and, and just beasting people was, was worth the price of admission. Um, before we move on to yours, are you, or do you have a different defender? He was he was my guy, okay. and I know okay. I did just I did I did just say Haas as well because I think people he was it wasn't his like his game where he is you know I, he did a couple of a couple of huge hits and he had an assist he wasn't that typical Haas game where he's all mm-hmm. over the floor but he had a matchup with Mark Matthews especially in that second half he was you know that was his mark and and they yeah. put him on him. And Matthews had one shot in the second half, and I believe only one assist, maybe two. Yeah. Um, and he really neutralized him. But I'm going to go but, with a different Thunderbird. Yeah. Jake, Jake Withers, one goal, mm, the 19 loose balls, uh, 19 for 27 on draws, two cause turnovers, and his goal he scored yes. really injected some life because I think if yeah, he man. doesn't score that goal, that game could have went completely different. You know, you lose – you lose jammer. You're playing with five righties, three lefties. The offense is out of sync. Um, the defense was frustrated because they were playing well, but uh, the offense couldn't score. He goes down the floor, makes a great play, gets absolutely crushed by Robert Church after the ball goes. <laughs> he sure did. And I he, was. Right he gets that. back up, and you could see he means business. And I yeah. think went that right game, back, took the next drive. He was all fine. Yeah. It was, and, and, and I, I've mentioned it a million times and I think I'm just going to keep saying it. If he wasn't so damn good at face-offs, people would be talking about him as a, like a top 10 defender. And yeah. because he's so good at face-offs, I think people just see him as that face-off guy, not for how good of a defender he is. And uh, yeah, it's, it was Phil. It's, it's crazy how underrated his defensive skills are now. Mm-hmm. Because it gets overshadowed with everything else he does. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Who's your goalie of the week, Mister Gregoire? Uh, I think I know who you have, so I'm going to go with someone different, and it's someone who I had a 
a pretty good view at. I'm going to go with Ward. You're such Hill. a homer, man. Like, this is two guys in a <laughs> row. Stop being that guy. There's 13 other teams in the league, Pat. But we can have the no, same guy. There, But there's no way, there is zero way that Hal, uh, Halifax wins that game if it's not for Warren Hill in the fourth and the third or in the in overtime. He was unbelievable. He was unconscious. Um, He's giving you a hard he, time. Not to, oh, I know. Not to say he wasn't great in the you know the first three quarters, but he really stepped up his game and and the rush gave him a bunch of fits. And I thought just he picked up where he was last. And I think now we're going to finally see some people give him some respect because for whatever reason, uh, when you hear Warren Hill's name, you everyone says, "Can he do it again? Um, you know, is he going to be able to do it again?" He proved everyone last year in that shortened season that he could do it. Uh, because he had a great half season with Rochester the year before. Now he's doing it again. I, I mm-hmm. think there's no more question mark with his game. He's a big body, plays great angles, but he is a freak athlete uh, when it comes to making those, you know, 10 bell saves. Uh, yeah, it, it, he did really make some massive saves down the stretch in that game, which worked timely. Um, I kind of wanted to go Kevin Orlewin. I kind of wanted to go Adam shoot, but I'm going to go Alexis bouquet. Um, you know, there's a lot of questions around his style of play of uh, can he be a true number one? Can he lead uh, this team to the playoffs from the back end up um, seven goals against 0.868 save percentage tops uh, both of those tables across the league. And was a huge reason Vancouver won that game. Sure. You know what? I think a lot of people are maybe saying that that San Diego offense uh, didn't perform the way they should. Uh, a lot of young faces, whatever. I just thought overall for the fact that, you know, he hasn't played in quite a while. He did play a li- little bit during the summer, but you know, plastic six wooden sticks. There's a lot to, a- to adjust mm-hmm. to for him. If he can play like that all year long, uh, I, not hating Tyson Geik's take, but I, I don't know if that's going to be a regular outing for Alexis Bouquet, but overall in the first weekend, I thought he was, he was one of the best goals, if not the best goaltender um, of the weekend. Uh, rookie. I think we can both say Jeff T. Um, yeah. Scores the first goal of the year, three goals, four assists, uh, eight loose balls. Um, I'm still on record saying that he won't win rookie of the year, but um I thought overall, Adam Levy put the stat, uh, 19 goals, 19 assists, uh, 118 loose balls or something ridiculous like that uh, by the rookie class. It was just a phenomenal weekend um, by all the rookies. Uh, yeah, 106 loose balls, two game winners uh, from Beads and TN1. So um, a great debut for a lot of young men. Yeah, and I think we were anticipating that the rookies were going to be phenomenal just because we had two great classes and they're coming in yeah. at the same time but i don't know if we knew that they were going to have this big of an impact right away uh, we knew the top guys would like you mentioned some of them but there's a lot of other guys that were phenomenal in their first uh games and it's 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 good going forward for this game because we know there's a lot of young budding stars coming up uh, our boosted parlay was also spot on time for a look your box bets for week two. <laughs> hey, we're having a good day, lads. And uh, we're still in the mix, baby. <laughs> Time now for box bets. 
your source for all the lines, odds, and props across the NLL. Brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool, bet responsibly. May the odds be ever in your favor. So, yeah, uh, we went three for three. Uh, that's pretty good, right? Uh, yeah, I would say so. I would, I would certainly say so. Um, we went three for three. Um, my box bets, I think I only lost one bet because I have Vancouver two, plus two and a half. They won out, right? You had them on the money line. Uh, Colorado Mammoth money line, they won out, right? Firewolves rock under 21 and a half, that cashed. And then over at the lacrosse flash, I gave out two props on top of those picks. Jeff T over five and a half points. That one cashed. Although the stats uh, and the game sheet that was posted before had it listed as five and they added a couple of assists for him. Right, so that, yeah. The only one that didn't cash for me was Zach Greer over three and a half points. Mm. One goal, but got hurt. Nice. So. Um, we took uh, that Toronto Albany under that was, I was sharp under 21. Uh, Rochester minus one and a half. Damn it. And uh, Vancouver money line. Yeah. So decent start for the lads. But this week we uh, we got an even juicier one, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. This one, I had uh, had a little internal debate with our odds makers. And they don't like having these, you know, these parlays with, when it comes to totals with, uh, or even spreads um, with an even number, they love that 0.5, that half point. So that way there's no push. Uh, It just makes things nice and clean and easy. So I figured let's go nice, clean and easy. We got the bandits to win. We've got the rush to win. And then to give it a little bit more juice right now, the total for the riptide and wings is at 20, but we added a half goal. And that all three of those parlay together plus 500. So this one's really juicy for us. Plus 500, um, you know, throw 10 bucks, you win 50, throw a hundred, win 500. So the, uh, the boys are hot right now. We don't know how long it's going to last. So jump on it before, uh, before the wheels fall off because that it's bound to happen. 344 to plus 550? Yes. Is that what you just said? Oh, my. That is exactly what I said. Oh, my goodness. We're going to get rich real soon. Wait, we're, we're not allowed to bet. Forgot. We'll get we'll get the, the folks listening. They can yeah, yeah, you guys can get rich. We help you. Buy us a drink if you see us at an arena near you. Um, but we got to make sure that when they sign up, they use promo code OTCB. Match your first deposit up to 200 yes exactly so when you do open up your account this is only for new users so if you've never used it or even if you are a new user and you haven't used a welcome code yet just go up to the very top you'll see that green button that says deposit it'll bring up the page it'll be at the top bonus code all you got to do is otcb deposit your money and then you will get whatever you deposit could be five bucks, 10 bucks, up to $200. They will match it. Uh, terms and conditions do apply. Uh, but if you're looking, you know, there's more than just the NLL on here, right? College football, college basketball, NFL, NBA, and of course, here in Canada, 
the Grey Cup this weekend as well. So if you're looking Ooh. to sprinkle a little bit on the Grey Cup, why not uh, head over to CoolBet and use that promo code. Hamilton will be buzzing as the Ticats from the Grey Cup final. It'll be a, an awesome time. Uh, that is box bets for another week. Um, and just as I hit refresh, NLL Transaction Wire for December 8th, Kaga Roughnecks released Carter McKenzie from the active roster, placed him on the practice list, practice player list, and they bumped Tyler Pace from the practice to the active. Uh, that's probably uh, a move you might see fairly often with Tyler Pace moving back and forth uh, due to his availability. Uh, Jordan Swarm signed Travis Longboat, Patty, to a practice Ooh. player and signed uh, Jacko to a two-year deal. Uh, Travis Longboat, third team he's been on this season already. <laughs> Started with New York, got released, got picked up by San Diego, got released, and now he's with the Swarm. I like that signing a lot, and I'm kind of surprised. I guess I'm not surprised because he's a free agent signing, but I would like to see him get activated and and put um, into that lineup sooner rather than later. I think he's going to fit into that offense well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Lyle Thompson – uh, Thomas Semple, Von Harris, and uh, Brendan Bomberry right now are they're listed as their righties. Um, so if you inject him there, we, we've seen him. He's been able – it's a small sample size last year, but he can produce at the National Lacrosse League level. 27 so. points in nine games. Had 40, yeah. 40 loose balls. Like, that's a heck of a season for a guy that's, you know, not the biggest body out there. Uh, 5'9", 155, and you put up 27 points in your first stint. Um, yeah, get him playing under Lyle, get him playing with Thomas Semple. That, that's, that's a great little spot for him. And with the output that offense is capable of, obviously it wasn't their best showing in game one, um, but they get to go up against the Riptide this weekend. So a chance for them to kind of turn the tide for the Georgia Swarm with, with Travis Longbow. So we'll see. Uh, the other news, uh, speaking of the Riptide, Ryan Fournier uh, placed on the active from the injured uh, they've released Adam Peroni uh, from the active and put him on the practice player. So it looks like Ryan Fournier might get in to some games this weekend for the New York Riptide, who are the first team in the National Cross League to play back-to-back games this weekend. They'll play Friday, Sunday. Uh, but as we look towards the week two matchups, Patty, um, out of Georgia, Calgary, San Diego, which team are you most concerned about if they fall to 0-2 out of the gate? I I think by default, I'm going to say, I want to say Georgia, but I feel like all three of these teams are very insulated with great coaching, great leadership, and that they can, you know, turn things around if they do go 0-2. Um, but for me, I think just that, I think it's going to be an absolute dogfight to get out of, out of the East. So I think that's why by default, I'll say them. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when you look at at the West, it's not going to be easy either. With especially you seeing Panther City um, with a great showing against a tough Philadelphia team, uh, and the Warriors, you know, jumping out to a one nothing start to their season, one and zero. But that's a tough question. I don't know really if there's one more than another. Who do you think? Because honestly, I think it's not ideal for either of them or all three of them. No. But oh yeah. It's tough. Um, it's funny. Again, I don't want to give too much of coast to coast away, but but Tyson and I, we, we were talking, Devin, we're talking about, 
which conference or, or division is tougher? Which one's more competitive? Is it the East because they have more teams and that flex playoff, possible flex playoff spot? Or is it the West where there's fewer teams and fewer guaranteed playing playoff spots? So, uh, you know, I want to actually say, I think I might be more concerned for San Diego considering the the new bodies that they have in and, you know, what they've done to try to make this team a championship contender, bringing in a guy like Dane Doby and having LeClaire and having O'Keefe. Um, and as Brody's career slowly starts to kind of enter the, the limelight years, I think I'm more concerned if it's San Diego going going to, because Georgia's lost uh, miles. They've lost Randy. Um, they're who else, who else am I missing? That's not there on that team anymore on that front door for them. Oh, Zed's not Zach, there anymore. Zach, Zach Miller. Yeah. Zach Miller's not there. So I, I think, you know, with the bodies that they're missing, I can kind of see why they might be owned two offensively. Uh, Calgary's had a bit of a turnover. I think I'm more concerned of San Diego's own two out of the gate. And I, I totally agree. And I think they're, they, San Diego has the highest expectations out of all of them, I think. And they're the ones that, put all their chips in the middle and say, this is a championship season. But with that being said, I think they have the highest ceiling out of them. And if anyone mm. couldn't get, can get out of a, a, an 0 two start and still get into the playoffs, I think it's that team. So that's why I wasn't leaning towards them. Yeah. Um, how quickly did the riptide hit the panic button? If they lose both games and are 0 and three by Sunday night. <sighs> Again, that's tough. I think, when you look at the East, it's it's going to be super difficult to get into the playoffs. And I don't know what their goals are. I know that anytime you step on the floor, you want to win. But is this is this a year where they are expecting to make the playoffs? Or is this a year where they're going to be competitive? They're going to battle. And if they get in the postseason, that's a bonus. If that's the case, then the panic button won't be pressed. And this is mm-hmm. something that they can learn from an 0-3 start. And this is uh, the growing pains of an, an expansion team. But yep. if their expectations, which I think they are, just based off the moves they've made in the offseason and who their coaching staff and who their general manager is, um, me, like being mediocre is not okay enough for them. So I don't know what they do. Do they go out and, and dip into the, the free agent pool? Do they shake things up with a trade? Do they, you know... They've, they've already dipped into their, um, you know, we're going to see a different look with Fournier. Um, yeah. That's not a, a huge game changer, but it's a different look. But I, I think, I don't know if it's panic mode where they hit the panic button or if it's maybe they start to play with a little more urgency. Um, so here's my thoughts for the Riptide this weekend because uh, they have to play uh, Philly on the road Friday and then they get Georgia at home Sunday. If you're starting Goa game one uh, against Rochester, I think you start him game two against Philadelphia, and then you come back with Steven Orleman on Sunday if Goa doesn't have a good game. If neither of them have a good game, they go out and sign Eric Penny. Wow. That is a spicy take. If they go 0-3, they call Eric Penny and have him available for the following weekend. Wow. Wow. I mean, I, I don't, I don't doubt it. Um, John Arlott is a very active general manager. He likes to think outside of the box and that's certainly one way that they, or sorry, we're talking about the riptide. 
<laughs> John Arlotta is one that does to make trades. Yes. We are talking um, about the Jim, Jim Feltman, he's a new general manager. He's going to come into this, this uh, you know, accepting that, yes, this is an expansion team. This is the first year under his regime. But I don't think this is a team that's just going to mail this in and say, no, you know, we're, we're no, they want to win right now. So yeah. looking at, and I was looking at the Georgia Swarm logo. That's why I said Arlotta. But <laughs> with that being said, I think you're right, though. I think I think Abrams goes against Philly. And then I think we see Orleman against Georgia. Hashtag revenge game. But I agree. If I think that it, the ease, not the easiest way, but a way that you can send a message to your team without really rocking the boat too much is going out and getting another goaltender and saying, you know yeah. what, like us going on three is not good enough. Not we, the, we need the, to be better. The only, the only issue is I think Penny still lives out here in the West coast. He is from Mimico, the Mimico minder. Um, but you know, if you could find a way to make that work, uh, cause you know, you just, you kind of go and look through not many teams are going to be willing to trade up their current backup. Um, and most teams, third goalies are still young and unproven. So Eric Penny's just sitting there. So you're not, you're not having, you wouldn't have to trade anything because Vancouver released them. You literally just call them up and sign them for nothing. So if they go, if they fall, even if they split and maybe neither goaltender looks exceptional, um, it wouldn't surprise me if a call to Eric Penny is made. Um, do you have a marquee hole? Let's quickly go through the games this weekend. Um, Last weekend's games, all seven games were fantastic. You know, there were the two blowouts. Five of the seven were decided by one goal. Three of them were overtime. Um, I could see us getting some similar action this weekend, but uh, you get the rock at Thun- uh, at Halifax on Friday. Uh, Riptide Wings Friday. Vancouver Panther City as Panther City plays their first ever home game in Fort Worth at Dickey's Arena. That's also on Friday. Uh, Saturday, the I-90s, we talked about with Frankie, Rochester, Buffalo, San Diego at Colorado. Uh, I'll have Calgary, Saskatchewan, your TSN game of the week with Brad Challoner and Chantel Chan. And then Sunday, Sunday lacrosse, Pat, Tyson and I gave you a Sunday high five uh, for Georgia at New York. Uh, Is there one that stands out more than the other? Obviously, because I'm calling the game, the Halifax-Toronto game, there's a lot of great storylines there. It's going to be you know, uh, alternate cup uh, yep. on the line. But for me, I'm really, really excited to see the I-90 battle. Yeah, the battle it's of one Western of my favorites Europe. of all time. It's a great rivalry, but this is this is a measuring stick, um, a game for Rochester. This yep. is a, if, if you want to feel that, you know, you're, you're back uh, to being a competitive team, why not? have a game where your rivals coming into your arena, the home opener. Uh, and if you can put up a good fight, come out with a win uh, and hand the bandits, their first loss of the season. That's something that you can really build off of for the rest of the season. You know, you can compete with anyone on the flip side. If Buffalo comes in and, you know, shellacks them and uh, then you have, you know, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know what? are we ready do mm. we, we do we need to be better yeah we absolutely have to be better how can we be better so from a storyline standpoint that one i i really enjoy just based off the rivalry but i think this is a big prove it moment for rochester and yes i know it's only week two um 
but you know how quickly things can slip away from 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 you, yep. Teddy. Like, absolutely, uh, they can have an opportunity to start the year at two and zero. That's a good little building point with a win over your expansion brother and your biggest rival. Yeah, and those are huge. And those are huge. Yeah. And, and two huge individual games. games. Yeah. Um, so as mentioned, the TSN game of the week, uh, Calgary at Saskatchewan. Uh, just doing some prep. These teams didn't even play during the shortened season. You realize that? The last time they played was April what? 20th, 2019. They were supposed to play the very next weekend Come when on. the stoppage started. And then they were going to play two games later on. They were going to play all three games after that COVID break. So they haven't played since an 18 to 8 Calgary win on April, uh, April 20th, 2019. Oh, my. I would have never guessed that. <laughs> Not yeah, a million I want, years. I wanted to go back. Look, what happened last time these two teams played last year? Didn't play. I feel. Didn't happen. I feel like in. I feel like in years past, like you would, you'd flip on, like you'd you'd open up the schedule. You'd always like, see oh, Calgary Saskatchewan. The right? They're just, playing again. It, some seasons it felt yeah. like they played each other like twenty times a year. Yeah, like they hadn't played like, each other yet. So it's that's it's pretty wild. cool. That's so, gonna be uh, great. Yeah, so that'd be the game of the week. Uh, the rush home opener. Both teams zero and two. Uh, the ESPN game of the league, first time the NLL has been on ESPN since I don't even know when. Um, San Diego at Colorado. Uh, for some reason, San Diego has had Colorado's numbers since coming in the league. I think they're 4-1 uh, against the Mammoth, uh, but the Mammoth coming off a huge win, that performance by Zed Williams and Dylan Ward. Uh, that's a game I'm very much looking forward to. So we've got some absolutely fantastic games uh, on deck for week two. Um any storylines uh, before we get out of here? What's the storyline you're looking forward to most this weekend? Do you think? I think uh, I think one of the things is just can some of these older guys, um, because one of the things I really thought was at first the two you know the two year layoff was going to be a bad thing for these guys. Um, but now I'm in, in in the camp of believing that it's maybe the best thing to ever happen to some yeah. of these guys' careers. So I'm mm -hmm. really excited to see the Dan Dawson's, the Scott Campbell's, the the Brody Merrill's. Are they going to be able to flip things around within a week and still be able to compete at the level? Because they were all three of those guys were tremendous, and yeah. obviously uh, there's more guys in that. But I'm just off the top of my head, the three. We didn't even talk about Reese Dutch's three goals in his first game. With <laughs> yeah, he right? wasn't like, even supposed to be in. He wasn't. Yeah, even that's to be the, in the crazy lineup. part. Yeah, so I think those guys are they going to be able to have a quick turnaround, um, especially for the teams that are playing on that Friday night? How quickly can they bounce back? Are their bodies uh, fresh enough? So that's something mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to. And of course, I mentioned the measuring stick game, or that that you know, the challenge. The same thing goes for for the Roughnecks Rush. Both those teams coming off losses. The Rush. There's no. I don't think there's any doubt in the room, uh, and I don't think there is really with the Roughnecks either. But if Calgary goes down 0-2 after, you know, a, a not great performance against Buffalo and then losing to a division rival in Saskatchewan on the road, that's a tough start to the year. Um, first game in Panther City Lacrosse Club history is the, the storyline that I like the most. And, but it also kind of takes into the fact that, you know, they took Philadelphia to overtime. They had that lead. Uh, are they for real? Are they a team that's going to be one to contend with? in this West, or are they just going to kind of be a, that was kind of the hype of game one. Um, but I, I, I am on record and saying that Panther city wins that game. Um, 
And uh, I think it's just going to be an incredible environment. I, I hope they have just an absolutely phenomenal crowd. Um, if you are on social media, you've seen just what a good job they're doing and promoting and putting videos out. Um, I tweeted out, you know, last week they had put out their injury report on social media, like 48 hours before their game. Um, their media people are reaching out to other media people to see how they can make their experience uh, the best that it can be. So uh, Panther City, you know, out of the gates, just doing a lot of things right. And how cool would it have been if they would have been able to win that game in Philadelphia, their first one out, but their first win's not far behind. And I I counter it, you know, that you get close, you get that taste and then you come home. Would it not be better for them to win their first game at home? Oh, absolutely. Home opener? Yep. And just saying, if you like, if you like that sprinkle a little bit on the money line, cause they're plus plus one twenty five outright to win. And even plus one and a half, you can get it at minus one thirty three. So there's some certain value. And I think I'm going to be hammering them on, on the, on the spread. Because I think they're going to be underdogs in a lot of games, but I think they're going to, I think they're going to play teams close all year long. I don't think that mm-hmm. was a fluke in the first game. Their coaching staff uh, has instilled this like blue collar, um, chip on your shoulder, hardworking um, culture already into that team, uh, yeah. and it was on full display uh, in their first game. And if they can get solid goaltending, which they did. Um, I would say better than solid goaltending. Um, there's no reason why they cannot uh, compete in this league. And I agree with you. I, I think a win for Panther City is coming sooner rather than later. Um, how about this, Pat? It's We record this on a Wednesday. Uh, the Panther City game is on Friday. I just got their game notes. That's great. That's yeah. awesome. They're doing um, everything right down there, man. Yeah, yeah they certainly are. Um, I was going to say something about that game, but now I forgot. Um, find it, find it, find it. Nope, not there. Anyway. Um, oh, I got it. Uh, you were talking about the culture. And uh, earlier today, before we started recording, they put out uh, a video of TK's pregame speech in the locker room before the game in Philadelphia. And he's sort of telling the story of the sleeping Panther in the city of Fort Worth. And, how that city was built back up and there was a rebirth and it took a whole bunch of people kind of pulling on the rope the same way and building up. And that's, he doesn't know how to build a city, but he can build a team. That's how they're building the team. And he said, uh, the kitty's awake with a few ex- other explicit expletives <laughs> in there as well. Um, but you're right. They are building a culture and they are building a winning culture. And it starts with that coaching staff it starts with Bob Hamley and Greg Bibb and the rest of that ownership group. Um, so I'm thoroughly excited to see what the home opener looks like at Dickey's Arena. I believe the commissioner is going to be there and probably some other dignitaries. So uh, they also said December 10th, or yeah, December 10th is officially Panther City Lacrosse Club Day in the city of Fort Worth. So a lot to be excited about uh, for PCLC's debut. He is Pat Gregoire. You can find him on social media at P. Greggy, I'm Teddy Jenner at Teddy Jenner. The show is OTCB underscore podcast on Twitter or at OTCB podcast on Instagram. Uh, if you want to look your best for the National Cross League, go to nllshop.com or fanatics.ca and get all the best NLL gear so that when you are in the arena, you look the part. Uh, thanks to Frank Brown, as always. Uh, again, cousinbrownie.org is where you can donate and please buy a raffle ticket, support a great cause. Um, and get yourself some pretty sweet swag. Um, and we'll talk to you next week. Pat, 
Always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, any final thoughts? Just enjoy the lacrosse this weekend, guys. I know there's things around the game that you can shake your head at and, you know, everything's not going to go to plan. Just sit back and enjoy how beautiful of a game this really is. We set it up, start. Beggars can't be choosers, but we can choose to beg if we want to. So don't be a chooser. Don't be a beggar. Enjoy every single opportunity. And if the game's on TV and you can watch it, please do. If not, tsn.ca, ESPN Plus, where you can watch all of the other lacrosse games. Touch of a button. Until we speak again, stay safe and be excellent to each other.